Welcome to The Miller's Tale, Episode 3. This episode was recorded at the beginning of August 2018 and finished off at the beginning of September. So apologies if there appear to be some references to things which are not the case now, but were then. My name's Mike Whitaker, and I'll be your host for the third episode of the Miller's Tale podcast, which just goes to prove it is possible to get more than two episodes out in five years. Greetings from a swelteringly hot mill house. It really is quite unpleasantly hot here today. Um, we, Ruben and I, have been very much enjoying the fact that the new workshop is air-conditioned, so both he... Um, in his capacity as head honcho at PE2 Collectibles, and me, currently in my capacity as code slave for UK2.net, um, have been enjoying the comparative shirt sleeve comfort compared to the rest of the house, which is absolutely picking sweltering. It is bordering on 30 degrees C out there, which in transatlantic money is divide by 5 is 6 multiply by 9 is 54 add 32 is 86 so yeah you get the idea it is blah for us wimpy brits anyway it's quite warm so what have we got in store this time out first off we'll have the usual bit of news there's some interesting things coming through from warlord among other people uh, we'll have a little online section which might be a little bit different to last time. I haven't done much, so the what, what have I done this week section will probably be fairly short. And then we're going to talk about history, because I've been on holiday and I've been wandering around bits of British history and I'm all inspired to talk about history. So that's going to be what you get this time out. Enjoy. Here we go. So let's start, as promised, with Warlord Games. Now, if you're a bolt-action player, or even a chain-of-command player in 28mm, you'll probably find these quite nice. Um, they have introduced a bunch of starter army sets for bolt-action. A thousand-point armies, which fundamentally boils down to a small reinforced platoon. They've got here Grenadier starters... Falshimiega, Waffen SS, um, Grenadiers in winter greatcoats, and a Panzer Grenadier set, and a Panzer Grenadier set for the early war. So, between those, you've got quite good ways of starting up a chain of command or bolt action force. Um, they're actually currently running quite cheap on the website, although I would, of course, count it as you two go and see whether. Uh, my tenant can get them cheaper. He gets free advertising, which is, of course, pe2collectibles.co.uk. Also from, from Warlord, for the 2000 AD fans of Morris, they've started introducing a range of stuff based on the Strontium Dog comic now. To each their own. It's not one of the uh, 2000 AD things that moves me, but if it, if it floats your boat, there's a whole bunch of stuff lots of little expansions, figures, rule books, etc, etc, etc. 
they really do look quite fun. They've been clearly lovingly sculpted by someone who uh, enjoys and gets the uh, original comic. Um, and they may well be one of Warlord's more successful tie-ins, since I know that if you're a British wargamer of my age, you probably grew up on 2000 AD. <laughs> something in my inbox this morning from Wargames Design. Now, those of you who pay attention to the Meeples podcast may remember us interviewing the head honcho of Wargames Design, who is, of course, Jim Bambra. Again, if you're of my kind of age, then you've probably run across his work, both for TSR, for Warhammer Fantasy, for some of the Fighting Fantasy books. He was also head of design at Microprose, and essentially um, all-round good chap, but principally of interest to us recently because he has written a set of World War II wargame rules called Combat HQ, which we reviewed on the Meeples podcast a year or so ago. Now, uh, for those of you who feel that no World War II scenario is complete without aircraft, your wishes are answered, as the air power rules for Combat HQ are now available for download from Wargames Design's website. I've had a quick skim, and they look pretty nice. They're, they're obviously designed to fit in with the activation system in use in Combat HQ, um, and they're really just one of those things, you know, if your scenario needs air superiority, aerial reconnaissance, ground attack, AA fire, the rules are in there basically with stats for late war aircraft and anti-aircraft unit. So if you're uh, interested in combat HQ or just want to sort of dip in to see how other people handle things like air assets in war games, I recommend it. On to the next. The Dark Age gamer in me is weeping for pure joy at the moment. Now, I actually spotted this a couple of weeks ago, but it was only up for pre-order but I can now confirm that it's up on Sarissa's website. The Dark Age Villa Farmstead is now available for purchase for the princely sum of 25 quid in 28 mil. So, what is it? It's basically, it's a converted Roman villa that clearly has had the hand of some... Uh, um, I would say less civilised, less less well-equipped people maintaining it in the years since the Romans uh, took their leave of these shores. Uh, so you have, essentially, you have a villa complex where several of the roofs have been replaced with turf roofs, um, there's an enclosed pigsty, um, and so on and so forth. It's very pretty. I've not had chance to uh, acquire a copy yet. It's in... Sarissa's standard unpainted MDF and greyboard, in that they do their core building in 3mm MDF, and then lots of little fine raised details that quite often the likes of foreground do by just cutting it with a laser to make it stand out. They actually take some greyboard, which is literally half mil, one mil card, laser cut that, and you can apply it to make details like window frames and the like. It is lovely. It's one of those pieces that you just want to buy as a centrepiece for a Dux Britanniarum or Saga game or something similar. It, it really is gorgeous and mine is already on order. Fireforge, who are 
developing a bit of a reputation for their 28mm historical plastics have just announced that they're bringing out some Byzantine auxiliaries to go with their Byzantine spearmen, which are available for pre-order and apparently will be out in September. Now, if you need sort of Eastern, post-Roman warrior types, um, these look like the bee's knees. Uh, you, this box, and I quote, enables you to build 25 Byzantine auxiliaries. You'll be able to assemble 10 armoured archers and up to 5 slingers, 4, 10 light archers and 10 javelin men. One assumes not simultaneously, obviously. They look like the fairly typical um, Fireforge setup. As yet, no pictures of the sprue, but the website does some nice, some nice pictures of the painted troops. And they look like they'd be pretty handy if you're building that kind of an army, or if you want to do something involving whatever Kings of War historical um, Dragon Rampant, uh, Direwolf Rampant, if we ever get put a copy of that up for folks to play with, and so on and so forth. They're good generic ancient armoured men. Oh, they look very nice, uh, were I still as mad keen on ancients as I used to be. I'd be very, very tempted to produce a Byzantine army, in fact, because uh, they're slowly starting to amass some rather nice stuff. Anyway, that's the news. Which I guess means it's time for what's now been officially known as the Walk of Shame. Although in my case this mostly seems to boil down to what I haven't been doing in the hobby of late. It's been hot, I've been busy, I've been on holiday. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. On the Kickstarter side, however, I have actually pledged to one Kickstarter, which is more on the board game side than the wargaming side, in that it is Folded Space. Now, Folded Space are a firm that make inserts for board games. Now, if you are like me and, or for that matter, many of my cohorts and have pledged for some of the bigger board games that have been cropping up on Kickstarter, you will have rapidly discovered that the boxes that they come with are, frankly, rubbish for any semblance of organisation of what the contents are. So, um, um, many people produce inserts. Folded Space are just one of them. And the major reason I went for this is I now own Terraforming Mars and I wanted a place to put everything. Now, they do a whole bunch of stuff. This is their second Kickstarter campaign. They have produced... This one has inserts for a bunch of stuff of which the things you'll probably find interesting if you're a wargamer are A Feast for Odin, Kingdom Death Monster... Um, Lords of Waterdeep, Star Wars Rebellion, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, and so on. In addition, you can pledge for the stuff that was in their first campaign, which is available through their pledge manager or just by generally being clever and working out how much you want to pay and pledging that. And the major things that might interest folks from there, I guess, are Gloomhaven, 
um, Terraforming Mars certainly interests me, uh, Dead of Winter and Long Night, and so on and so forth. Uh, you can find them on Kickstarter. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Uh, I've just pledged so that I can keep my Terraforming Mars stuff in one piece. Um, so, yeah, there you have it. That's that's the one Kickstarter I've pledged for. Not bought anything. Most of the wargaming time I've had has been spent either editing this thing or working on the fact that we are off to RAF Coningsby for their family day on Friday with the club to take the Dambusters game. So that's required a certain degree of boning up on my history so I don't make a fool of myself when people ask me questions. Which promises to be fun. I'm... I don't know where the BBMF lank is that day. I think from what I saw on the schedule, it's flying out later in the day, so we may get to see it go, which would be rather cool, I have to admit. Other than that, that is pretty much me for the fortnight, really. Um, very shameful, I know. I really should do better. I will try. Sometimes real life gets in the way of wargaming. Now, that's been brought home to me quite a bit over the last couple of weeks from a number of posts which have ranged from making me somewhat annoyed to very concerned and sympathetic and most points in between. But there's there's two or three things I want to cover. Um, those of you who know my blog podcasting partner in crime, the Welsh wizard, Mike Hobbs, may well have followed him on Twitter and already seen his series of two posts entitled The Devil in Your Head, um, discussing the, the very real subject of depression. Um, I am, I have to say, immensely proud of him for having the guts to actually write those two posts. I'm not sure if I was in his position, I could... I really, really do commend that you go and read them, particularly, well, no, not particularly, whether you are feeling depressed yourself, whether you have friends who are going through it, or just simply so that you can understand something of, of how it must feel. I'm very, very lucky, I think, in that I am of a sunny and up disposition, and to the best of my knowledge, I have never suffered from anything that could really be called depression. Uh, my wife has, um, and I know she went through hell. Um, fortunately, she's also out the other side, but she did take quite a long time off work. Um, it's a real problem. I strongly, strongly commend you to go and find those two articles. I will link to them um, in the show notes, and have a good read. And if you find yourself in the position that you need help, and that article prompts you to um, ask for it. For God's sake, do. Okay? Okay, next up, um, I'm delighted to note that Annie of Bad Squido is finally getting over uh, her, her move and, and assorted bouts of not wellness and the like. Um, and hopefully, and I'm this if you're listening, Annie, no pressure at all. I'll take them when they come because they're they're way behind on the painting queue anyway. Her uh, the Freya's Roth Kickstarter will be done shipping soon. However, it does appear that there are some people out there who are either blind, stupid, or just flat out insensitive. Uh, and I have seen comments 
basically from Annie and from other people in similar positions on other Kickstarters. I mean, it's very clear that there are people out there who are suffering from the classic Kickstarter entitlement, entitlement issue, otherwise known as give me my shit now, no matter what your problems are, I want it now, you are being mean nasty. And frankly, all I can say is get a bloody life. You're spending recreational money on toys. Other people have real life problems while they're trying to get them to you. So for Christ's sake, pack it in, grow up and wait like everybody else. Yeah, okay, I was quite annoyed about that, wasn't I? Um, apologies for that. Um, on a similar note, I, I noted that the one of the kickstarters I backed a couple of years ago that got in a bit in the weeds was the Dark Ages Outpost kickstarter that was planning to produce a load of 28mm Dark Ages Outposts, obviously enough from the name. Uh, and he appears to have had some absolute nightmares with his... Um, mold-making companies to the extent that he's been forced to ditch one of his last goals, I think, and release all the design files for those of us who want to 3D print it, which is a very magnanimous gesture. Um, and again, it's kind of an object lesson in, in Kickstarters are hard. Um, and anybody who tells you there aren't, they aren't, um, has either got an awful lot of money to throw at the problem or doesn't understand what's going on. And I promise I'm not going to turn this into another rant about Kickstarters because I've done it too many times on Meeples already. So let's move on to the main meat of the show, shall we? <laughs> of a genius to figure out that I'm a historical gamer. Okay, I play the odd thing like Gaslands and Kings of War, and I'd be the first to admit to an abiding passion for Lord of the Rings. Yes, I do play Lord of the Rings online, I'm sorry. Um, but in general, um, I very much prefer historical gaming, and I guess if I stop and think about it, the major reason, and this is going to sound a little silly, is that the fluff is better. Now, what I mean by this, as I'm sure you've heard when I or other partners in crime have reviewed games of a fictional nature, we do tend to go on quite a bit about fluff, uh, because the fluff is the thing that gets you immersed in the background, that that gives you a game that isn't just abstract moving of dice counters on a table but actually gives you some story behind the things you're moving around now like it or lump it i'm i'm a big fan of i think what we can probably fairly call immersive gaming i like i like my games to have a story i like to be able to pick a narrative out of what's going on above and beyond this unit beat the other unit uh, and hence um I like games with deep fluff, which is why I will always be a fan of Battletech, because when the fluff extends to 20 novels, um, you know there's quite a bit of it. Uh, equally, Lord of the Rings, it's 
the definitive, if you like, it's the definitive fantasy fluff, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. Don't I'm not using fluff in a disparaging sense here. Um, fluff is the stuff that isn't the rules. It's the stuff that that makes the rules have have a basis. So yeah, so yeah, things like BattleTech and Lord of the Rings are what, are what make me what, get my juices flowing when it comes to things that aren't historical. But but as I said, the whole point about historical is the fluff is there for you, and if you're actually prepared to go digging, you find that there's often a lot of story behind the battles you're recreating in a historical context. One of the things I, I'm prone to say is that I think, and this is controversial, I'm sure, and I suspect if the likes of Harry Sidebottom are listening, they reserve the right to argue with me, I think that in some ways teaching history is wasted on um, what I would have called second to third year senior school, year nine or so, because when it comes down to it, history is not about that dry list of facts that Sir makes you learn and regurgitate for the exam. Um, history, when you're looking at it properly, is about what people do, why people did what they did, uh, what motivated them. And with the best will in the world, I don't think at 14, you are mature enough to understand why Henry VIII got quite so stupid over women, for want of a better example, and why people do things that may seem irrational uh, because of strongly held beliefs that you, as a teenager, can't necessarily see why anybody would want to espouse. Um, witness Hitler, World War II, and any number of other conflicts where the rationale behind the fight isn't necessarily as simple as territorial or financial or the like, but can be just something purely human makes people do things that may not, in the cold light of day, seem entirely sensible. So, that's history. History is history is fluff. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, it's, it's, it's a glib way of saying it. But history is the, motiva is the motivation behind why we fight, to me, is fabulous. The other thing about history, compared to fluff, which, which I absolutely adore, is that, that history is still here for us to poke around with. And if you look at what I've been doing this summer, um, I've been round several castles in Yorkshire, uh, and if you've been to the likes of Middleham uh, and just seen how it sits above the town as essentially a testament to the fact that, that the, the lord who owned it wanted to make the point that this is my town and this is my piece of Yorkshire, and I hold it, and it's a very brutal, functional castle, and you can walk around it, and you can see, walking around it, what it's for, why it exists, and it's not hard to picture living there, garrisoning it. It's, it's particularly nice. It's become one of my favourite castles, along with the likes of Ludlow and Castle Rising in Norfolk, because it's sufficiently intact that you don't have to have that vivid in imagination to see what it would have been like without um, the need for graphical reconstructions, models and the like. That kind of thing I just love. Um, I've been a castle junkie since since before Anne and I got married. 
we had a tradition up until we had James and it became one of those infeasible things that goes away with having kids of every year on our wedding anniversary we'd go on holiday somewhere with castles and we'd go tick some more of the English Heritage book and I think in our time we not quite we haven't done everything in the English Heritage, in the English Heritage book there's loads more I want to do but but I've got I have an avoiding love for those those bits of grey sandstone sitting out in the middle of the English country English and Scottish countryside just because of what they represent and the stories that they tell. And when you've done enough of them you start to see the same names cropping up and the same bits of history. And it gets you allows you to place that history in a visual context that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Of course the other thing I've done this summer um is gone up to Shetland. And that's a whole different kettle of fish. Um because you're looking Principally, much of the archaeology in Shotland, Shetland is much older, uh, except when it isn't. <laughs> That's a big clip. It, it spans a very wide range and a very compact period of time. You can go to the southern tip of Shetland itself, near Sundberg Airport, Sundberg Airport, and you can see within an area of four tennis courts ruins and excavations that date back from Iron Age, Stone Age, Brochs to a 16th century laird's house and pretty much most points in between and you can walk that land and you can get an appreciation for what's happened over that time in just that small piece of what's obviously well situated land for protecting that inlet, that port that is Sumbra. And equally, the other thing you can get, can do is you can walk, you can take a couple of ferries across to Unst, which is the northernmost Shetland group. And on the shore at Haraldswick, somebody built a Viking longboat. It's a replica of one that, um, of, of a of a Viking boat that they used to make a sail, make a journey over from Norway. And apparently, due to the fact they didn't quite get the construction right, they uh, only made it as far as Unst and decided they better stop while it wasn't taking in so much water they weren't going to get any further. But if you want to actually see what a Viking longboat looked like, and, and incidentally, there's a very nice turf-roofed hut next to it if you're into bottling that kind of thing for scenery, then then the one on the one on, in Haraldswick on Unst is... Again, it's incredibly visual, it's incredibly tactile, you can climb it and stand in it. Uh, you can even move the oars. And, and it's that thing about history being still present, still something you can explore, that I think makes, makes me so keen on historical wargaming. Um, you can then, of course, there's, there's the other thing, which is that there are still copious written records there are there are more written records than you can shake a stick at for world war ii if you go and pick your favorite little corner of world war ii the odds on there not being apart from the bunch of official regimental histories and maps and stuff they're not being something akin to forgotten voices of or one of the other kind of book series or just a novel not a novel or just a just a historical collection of reminiscences that, that tells you not just what happened, but how the guys on the ground fell about, felt about it. And again, if you, it's perfectly possible to sit and read one of these with your favourite set of wargame rules in hand, particularly if they model command at all well, and see how the the events that 
port the events that fall out in in a book like that come out would come out in a war game and equally it then makes it very easy if you are wargaming take the events on the battlefield and impose a narrative on them and this i guess this gets us into the realm of alternate history i think anyone who's seen my my scenarios that i write for the likes of the Lardies summer specials will note that i have penchant largely because um i'm very conscious of potentially getting the historical research wrong that i will tend to use fictitious units and fictitious settings but i still very much want to write those scenarios such that they tell a story that they aren't just force a meets force b and and i hope you can also see that in things like the ducks britannia and campaign that andy Hills and i've been running again that's partly that the the campaign system for ducks Brit actually lends itself to it but i've always felt that history historical wargaming in general you don't just have to produce a dry as dust retelling of a battle or encounter between two forces with historically correct orders of battle and the like there are there and there always will be people involved in a war game and history when it comes down to it is about the people and i think consider that that wargaming without an appreciation for what the figures on the table represent in terms of who they are what their potential aspirations motives instructions orders are above and beyond just it's the guy in command of seven platoon takes away the fun it's why to a degree i didn't really enjoy the club's teams of war campaign sure pretty forces um i basically just took some romans and some cataphracts and a few other things and built up a kingdom of men force but it had no story behind it it none whatsoever it was a bunch of figures and figures that moved around and killed other figures and yeah it's great fun from a simple rolling dice and well losing because i always do point of view but there was no feel behind it if you contrast that with the linear linear campaign the lineus campaign that andy and i andy hawes and i run for ducks brit every one of the figures on the table is someone they certainly every one of the commanders on the table is someone and quite a few of the in my case a few of the minor figures in in various war bands actually have names and the like and there's an investment in that above and beyond one you would just get from something like an arbitrary kings of war force with no history behind it so yeah sure i can do i can do the same thing there will be nothing to stop me if i wanted to playing 40k because let's face it if you want rich and detailed history um 40k got it in spades but it's a it's what tvtropes.com call a crapsack world it's a world that frankly depresses the living daylights out of me not one i really want to play in for all that the sci-fi is pretty cool um but <laughs> it really does boil down to for me history is the the ultimate fluff history is is because not only is it it's not just there's a thought, isn't it? One of the things, the differences between historical games and games with pre-generative fluff is that very rarely, in even in the likes, possibly you've got to get as complicated as the the multiple viewpoints of something like Battletech. 
before you actually start seeing the idea that there are multiple points of view on a battle or multiple points of view on a piece of history most games with history um the fluff the fluff is a single viewpoint or at most two uh, it's and it goes into some detail whereas you go and dig out well for the sake of argument um Stephen Ambrose's glorious book on D-Day, which just pulls in so many viewpoints about every beach, and you can see the same story told different ways, different viewpoints, different perceptions, different reactions, and and it just becomes infinitely fascinating. Um, and I just I just love history. History is history is why if I if I were to give up work now and decide not to do anything else. Um, and have the money to spare, I'd go away and I'd do an open university medieval history degree just because I want to do history the way I wasn't mature enough, old enough, savvy enough to do it when I was 14. So, yeah, that's history. have it the miller's tale episode three it took a little longer than i expected for a number of reasons and if i had the time i would probably have gone back and added some more stuff to the what have i done recently section and the news but in the interest of getting this out um i chose not to so some of the news is a little bit behind as it predates um me going on summer holiday um <clears throat> having to spend rather too long getting James to finish his final engineering project and a few other things. So here it is. Um, I hope, uh, and I actually mean that this time, that we'll get back to a slightly more regular schedule. Which brings me to the other point, which, depending on the order in which podcasts come out, you may or may not be aware of yet, which is that I will not be continuing with the Meeples and the Miniatures crew when they start up again then well now-ish actually um I was half expecting Neil to have beaten me to the punch with publishing something this weekend but he appears to be out playing Saga instead for which one can hardly blame him but um it's Neil's call um there is nothing between us and Neil we're still best of mates um but it's his podcast and obviously um he gets to run his podcast the way he wants to and that's absolutely fine by me the good news is it does mean that you will probably hear a bit more of me on this podcast and since i seem to seems to have now become a habit i think i'm going to continue with the process whereby the long piece at the end remains unedited you'll just have to put up with the odd omaneur but I've found that it seems to work better if I just sit and talk at the microphone and hopefully what comes out is coherent and interesting and entertaining. And 
with that in mind, uh, look out for episode four. I think I now have Wednesdays free to record it every two or three weeks, and hopefully we should see one a month. Let's let's go for one a month. So this has been the Miller's Tale episode three, which we'll call the September episode, and hopefully there'll be another one out in October, which will include a little bit of catch-up on stuff I didn't mention in this episode, like Harrywood Wargame Show and the like. So, until then, bye-bye and roll good dice. Miller's Tale is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License.